those intellectual types came up and said, Mr. McDonald, how can you, someone so intellectual, how can you subscribe to Christianity? And Josh McDonald said, when I cut away all the fluff, when I looked at everything there was to look at, I could not get away from the resurrection. He said, if somebody can disprove the historical data that exists for the resurrection, I would abandon it. But I believe Jesus lives because of what history teaches us. Now, it's that type of man that wrote this book, Right from Wrong, and he knows teenagers. He knows our culture pretty well. Let me disturb you just a little bit. Do I have anything up there, guys? Somebody news running it. You be patient. It'll be fine. You can go ahead and fire it off. Um, 66% of teenagers, 66%, let me back up. He told us in the last 90 days, three months, watch this, 66% of teenagers have lied to their parents, to a teacher, or some other adult. 57% of teenagers in the past three months have lied to a friend, a peer. 39% of teenagers have cheated on an exam. I think you're caught, guys. And then there are some 65% of teenagers, watch this, that believe there is no objective standard for truth. Let me startle you one more. 85% of teenagers would agree with this statement. Now think about that. Eight, eight out of nine, almost nine out of ten with this statement. What is right for you is not necessarily right for me. Now my question is, where did our teenagers get this kind of thought process? Did they get it from our founding document of our, of our country, our Constitution? They've watched over the years as our court system has interpreted our Constitution. Did they get it from our court system? Did they get it from our culture, or maybe did they get it from the church? Well, we know that the Constitution hadn't changed markedly except for the few amendments in the past 225 years. We had incredible minds to write the Constitution We know that our court system is getting a little squirrely right now, so they could have got it there. Because in the court system, they began to revise the Constitution. But I also will declare to you that they could get it from our culture because our culture is feeding you a line, young people, that there is no absolute truth. And it will lead to one place, to destruction. As I think about that, I thought that we should take a look at what truth is in its very basic form. And so for the next 10 or 11, 12 weeks, we're going to take a look at a series of messages entitled The Truth About Truth. We're going to study the Ten Commandments. Now, tonight may be shorter than any ever before, and it may not be. This thing has a way of taking a life of its own because there's so much we need to get in front of us. But I want you to turn with me now, if you will, to Exodus chapter 20. Now, this will be our our source of of Scripture for the next months. But before we do that, let me give you 
a definition of truth. I believe she's going to give it right up there. It is that which is true for all people at all times, in all places, and under all circumstances. Now, if you've got your head down, hold it right there. Um, Alicia, Is that if you've got your head down, you need to look at this. What is truth? It is that which is true for all people, at all places, at all times, and under all circumstances. Now, here's what I want to say to you folks. Whether this culture likes it or not, whether you like it or not, whether I like it or not, whether we live like it or not, I can tell you where truth is found. It is found in Jehovah God and in His Word. It has charted the course since the beginning of time, and it will chart the course for the future. Tonight we're only going to read two verses of Scripture as we begin, just kind of an overview, things for us to have under, the, uh, under our belts as we get into this study. Uh, why don't you stand as we read the first two verses of chapter 20? The first two verses of chapter 20. Very simply. Now let me just set this up for you if you haven't read your Old Testament in a while. Moses has led his, the children of Israel out of Egypt in the Exodus. Hence the book, the Exodus. Moses is now on my Mount Sinai with God. And this is what it said. This is what the Scripture records. Then God spoke all these words. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the place of slavery. Let's pray. Father, it's my prayer tonight that our hearts will be stirred by your truth. And that as we take some foundational thoughts into our bosoms that we'll meditate on it day and night, that it will change our life and our thought processes and our heart, that we can be focused on you and your truth. And we can be the light that shines in this world, the light of truth. That we can be the love that is sensed and felt in this world. That we can be you in this world, in your name. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. <clears throat> if I were to say Judge Roy, can anybody put a last name on that? Judge Roy Moore is famous. He will not just live in Alabama history, he will live on in United States history because he lost his seat as the Supreme Court Justice over the Ten Commandments. Now, as an aside, I believe that if he had that to do again, I believe he'd stand on the same principle, but he might do it in a little different way to make a longer impact. But that's a debate that will go on for years. But he stood on the grounds of, of displaying the Ten Commandments. Now, I think it's pretty interesting in this country, and I've said that our courts are getting weird Think about this. Judge Roy Moore lost his seat over, the do over displaying the document that sits over the head of the Chief Justice of the Supreme Court of the United States of America. It was engraved by our forefathers there. 
That's another story for another time. Every government that's ever been worth its salt has been based on the Ten Commandments. Have you ever wondered why people don't want the Ten Commandments up? We're going to hang on to that because we're going to come back to it in a second. Tonight, I simply want to do three things. I want you to see, I just want your mind thinking about three things as related to the Ten Commandments as we begin this study. The first, and I'm going to divide it into words. Do you understand why I do this outline so much, folks? It's not to be slick or clever. First of all, I'm the one that's got to deliver it, so I've got to remember it. So I break it into slices that I can digest, and I believe if I can digest it, maybe you can. Does that make sense? No? It doesn't make any sense? Okay. First thing, I want you to see the Creator. The Creator. The Scripture says, Then God. Did you know that the strength of any law or rule or document is directly related to the strength of the one who creates it? Hello? Have I lost everybody? Have you already gone to sleep? Let me give you for instance. You're going to love this. Is that what if tonight I said, okay, we're in business meeting. J.D. Taylor says, Brother Jerry, I don't like all these blue parking spots around town and I don't like them being used. For the, handy, for the disabled, said, I believe, I just bought a blue Mitsubishi, and I believe that those blue handicapped places are the, the only people that can park in there are people with, with blue Mitsubishis. And Terry DeFore says, well, I bought a blue Mitsubishi too, so I second that. And everybody says, okay, that sounds like a good idea. So we take a vote in this church that all the parking spaces in Jefferson County, are from now on not for handicapped people, but for blue Mitsubishis. Now, can I ask a question? Does that really carry any weight? Not at all. Because we have no authority. However, Michael Pickett's a member of this church. He's a member of the city council. If he was here, I'd say something about sliding something under the table to get him to do this, but I won't pick on him since he's not here. His family's sick today. But let's say in that city council they came in there and Michael said, you know, my good friends J.D. Taylor and Terry DeFore, they have blue Mitsubishis and they want to park in those blue spaces and said, I make a motion that all the blue spaces in U.E. Town now go to blue Mitsubishis. I don't know why I chose Mitsubishi. Maybe it's because my son has a car and I hate it, all right? And down that council, they go, well, you know, i got friends that has a blue Mitsubishi. Well, I do too. And he gets a second and they vote and they make it law. Now let me ask you a question. Now if you park in that parking spot, what's going to happen to you? You have a ticket because the people have authority set the law. First thing we need to understand is that the person who gives the law, his authority his strength, his power to enforce it is what makes it enforceable. The Ten Commandments says, then God. Now you go, wait a minute, Brother Jerry. 
Is there any big deal about that? Well, sure they are. Let me just, you know, sometimes we forget about how big God is. If you still have your Bibles, you can flip back earlier in that chapter, and I'm going to 19.6, Exodus 19.6 says this, On the third day, when the morning came, there was thunder and lightning and a thick cloud on the mountain and a loud trumpet sound and all the people in the camp shuddered. Then Moses brought the people out of the camp to meet God. They stood at the foot of the mountain. Mount Sinai was completely enveloped in smoke because the Lord came down on it in fire. Its smoke went up like the smoke of a furnace and the whole mountain shook violently. May I just suggest to us today that we have forgotten this great God that we serve. We forgot the creator of heaven and earth. And I suggest to us that God may need to come down in his cloud and shake our world just a little bit just to remind us who God is. You can flip over in chapter 20 and go to the end of the Ten Commandments in verse 18. And it says, all the people witnessed thunder and lightning and the sound of the trumpet and the mountain surrounded by smoke. And when the people saw it, they trembled and they stood at a distance. You know, when we see, when we get a real glimmer of God, a glimpse of God in the, in the Old Testament, we don't call him the old man or the man upstairs. We don't get too friendly with him because we are aware that here he's holy. You see, the one who actually gave the Ten Commandments is God himself. In the beginning, God. In the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth, and he said, let there be light. I don't know who, who he spoke to. I don't know who heard it. I don't know who responded. I just know that he said it and it happened. The creator. But he doesn't just stop there when we're getting ready to unload this, this decalogue. He moves from us seeing him as creator to we see his communication, number two. It says, then God spoke. Then God spoke. I have a message. I'm like Brother Terry and Brother Roy and the other preachers. You know, you write these messages and you're afraid to throw them away because you're afraid you'll get called on the spot to preach something and you're going to need something. You have to go back and get something you've done before. And I have a message in my computer when I'm preaching through Jonah. First point in that message is that the Lord still speaks. Then God spoke. You know what it reminds me of? It reminds me of three things when I think about God speaking. It reminds me, first of all, of who God is. Now, when, when Moses is on Mount Sinai, and he is face-to-face with God, and God speaks. Now, now, remember this. Get a perspective of this. Watch how he's already seen God. He's already walked up to the burning bush. 
and the bush was not burned. He's already taken his feet off and knelt on holy ground because he knew he was in the presence of Almighty God. He has already gone to Pharaoh and said, let my people go. And Pharaoh said, not on your life. And he has already seen God bring the entire religious system of Egypt to its knees. Every plague denigrated one of the Egyptian gods. He has already seen God part the Red Sea and protect them from the soldiers of Pharaoh, and he has seen him put the sea back as he drowned them. He has already seen God bring them to the springs of living water after being out there in the desert where they had the bitter water. He has already seen God send manna and meat from the air. He has already seen God bring water from the rock. You see, he has already seen God and what he could do He knew who God was. In fact, I take you back to the burning bush. Moses said, I'm going. Don't really want to. I'm going. And this is the watch translation. Who shall I tell him sends me? And God simply said, I am. Now that's pretty good. And Moses is a better man than me because I would have said, I am who? And listen to me. You can fill that in with anything you want to. And if you follow the tr- if you follow the trail, the trek of Moses from the time they left Egypt to the time that the children of Israel walked in the uh, Canaan land without Moses, you know what? You can find all the things that he is. I am the deliverer. I am the protector. I am the provider. I am the director. I am the pillar of fire. I am the cloud. You see, who he is gives us all the reason to have confidence in this Ten Commandments, these words he's about to speak. I believe when he spoke, it it came in Moses' mind who this is. I also think it came in his mind what he does. (laughs) What he does. And it's mentioned right here, and I've already mentioned it. He says, I am the Lord your God, and I brought you out of the land of Egypt. If God does nothing else in your life and my life today, and He does a lot more, but if He does nothing else, He is a deliverer. He will deliver you from your sin. He will deliver you from your shortcoming. He will even deliver you from yourself if you'll let Him. Who He is. Lord, you're God. Do you know that's two times? Lord, God, Elohim, Jehovah. Elohim, I am the ruler of your life. Jehovah, and I am the one and only God of strength. But we have the best of all worlds in Jehovah, Elohim, God. Who He is, what He does. But there's one more thing that comes to my mind as I think about His communication here. Not just who he is and what he does, but what he expects. Now, please listen to me, teenagers. The world is lying to you. God has not changed his expectations for this generation. Listen to me, older generation. God has not changed his expectations on you, for you, just because a few years are behind you. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. And you know what he expects? Talk so much about it this morning. He expects us to be kingdom-focused. 
He expects us to come to him and allow him through his son to deliver us from our sin, from Satan, from ourselves, from death, and from hell. He expects us to live for him. He expects us to love him. Have you ever thought about why he gave the Ten Commandments? Some of you people who meditate on this probably have. I'll give you three or four reasons. You can write them down. He gave us the Ten Commandments to define sin, to tell us what sin was. You can go to Romans 7 to check that out. He gave us the Ten Commandments to show us that we are sinners. He gave us the Ten Commandments to show us our need of a Savior. He gave us the Ten Commandments. Listen, this is one you don't ever think of. He gave us the Ten Commandments to protect us. I mean, the Ten Commandments, four, the first four, deal with man to God. The last six deal with man to man. Eight of the Ten Commandments are, are given in the negative. Do not. Thou shalt not. You better not. You better don't. How does that protect us, Brother Jerry? Now watch this. How? Unloving would it have been for God to have drawn up the plan. The plan. That is, he wants us to walk with him. We are in sin. And you can, you can take this to the bank, whether you've ever believed it before or not. If God threw Adam and Eve out of the Garden of Eden because they disobeyed, He'll not think twice about throwing us out of, out of paradise because we disobey. Now, the way it protects us is he gives us, he lovingly places these boundaries around us. Listen, folks, why doesn't he want you to steal? Because it erodes your character. Why doesn't he want you to lie? Because it erodes your character. Why doesn't he want you to covet? Because he wants you to depend on him. I mean, the list goes on, and he lovingly, just like a, a parent, puts these boundaries around their children to protect them. What kind of God would it be that had all this plan out there and just left it to our own devices to find? That's why I don't have much uh, uh, understanding of a world that says, yes, he's a loving God, but I really don't know how to get to heaven. The loving God I know has left us explicit instructions how to get there because he wants us to come. And the starting point before you can ever receive Christ and get on your journey to heaven, the starting point is to know just how bad you need a Savior. The creator of the Ten Commandments, God himself. The communication, God spoke it for us. You see the word already up there, the consequences. Have you ever considered the consequences of breaking 
the Ten Commandments. Well, let me compare it this way. And I've done this many times in this pulpit. In our law of jurisprudence, how many laws do we have to break to be a lawbreaker? You break one, it's just you're, they call you a lawbreaker. I mean, you go rob a bank. Well, I didn't kill anybody. Well, you still broke the law. So listen, if I've told a lie, still broke the law. If I lusted after someone, I still broke the law. And then Jesus complicates matters because he says, if you've hated someone in your heart, it's just just like being a murderer. See, folks, the truth about truth is this. There are some deep consequences for breaking the law. Now, at the same time, please hear me. No one's ever been saved by keeping Ten Commandments. The Ten Commandments is the top side of our relationship to God. It tells us how bad we are. tells us how much we need a Savior tells us how loving, how just God is. And then on the other side of that coin is grace. God says, you keep these or the wages of your sin is death. But here's my grace. Here is what you do not deserve. Here is my son, Jesus. And he comes to you to give you a new life, to give you a new hope, to give you a new tomorrow. He's paid the price for you. And Jesus said, I am it. The way, the truth, the life. And no one comes to the Father but by me. Psalm 19 says, The law is perfect in reviving the soul. As I end, let me just, let me put it on pretty heavy right here. Because this is the make it or break it of your life. Many people in the past 25 or 30 years have walked an aisle, have walked through the waters of baptism, have said the words of a prayer, and they have never been saved. And do you know why that is? Because before you sense the need to be saved, you have to know the impact of being lost. I ask you today, tonight, Did you come to that place in your life where you knew that you were a sinner? That you knew that apart from from the grace of God that you would turn you would turn and head to a place called 
hell. That you would spend an eternity there. Somebody said one time, we need to, quit stop. We need to stop talking about this causal relationship, this consequences of spending eternity in the hell. We're going to scare people into heaven. Well, i got news for you, Brother Terry. If we can scare a few people into heaven, let's do it. For you see, we may scare them into heaven now, but that's not near as frightening as it is to wake up on the other side and be in torment in the flames. The Ten Commandments created by God, communicated from God with deep consequences if we do not deal with